That was a, uh, that was a, powerful, a powerful song for us to be able to share together. Uh, grateful that we can have time like this to be together. I want to begin um, by praising God for something and asking you to be praying about uh, something as well. Uh, and I want to begin just it's a little, little different. Uh, I want to invite uh, Caroline Rudolph and her brother uh, Caleb to the stage. Caroline, I see right here. Caleb, are you here? Is he, is he here? Yes? No? Celebration Station. He is serving and helping. So, Caroline, come on up here. All right, you're going to have to take one for the team and just do this by yourself. All right? Uh, clearly, they don't have any idea that I'm doing this to them. Um, I didn't tell them ahead of time because I was afraid they would say no. So, uh, Caroline, I was planning on you being up here with your brother. But I want you to know, all right, so the, the reason I've called Caroline up here, uh, it was a, not too long ago we were taking up a collection to help those uh, hurricane victims over in North Carolina. Uh, and so you've been watching the news kind of like we have this week. Uh, we saw Michael come through and do a lot of damage in the, uh, the Florida panhandle there. And, and uh, the Rudolphs have family in Panama City and they may still be, I think the family is still here. They, uh, some of their family, they were able to evacuate. Caroline, I think it's your aunt, right? Who's here? Uh, Caroline's uncle, I believe is uh, a firefighter. And so he stayed back to kind of help uh, with the situation there, but Caroline's aunt was able to come. They've been staying with the Rudolphs all week. Uh, Caroline is an 11th grader here, and uh, her brother Caleb is in the 8th grade, and so they've been spending time all week with family, understanding the reason that they're here in town. And one of the things that they wanted to do uh, that's happening today that you may not know about, and I want you to be aware of it, I want you to be praying about it, and uh, I really want us to be able to, to support what, uh, what these two are wanting to do. They decided that um, they wanted to help out those who are in that area. And so today, up in our youth group area, um, a lot of our teens and, and their families are, are bringing certain items that we are hoping to kind of collect over the next couple days. And uh, the goal here is, we don't know how you know, God would use all this, but I know uh, Caroline and Caleb are hoping that they would have enough items collected that they would be able to, uh, to get a, a truck to rent a U-Haul or whatever, two U-Hauls, three, I don't know how many, but to be able to collect enough items to be able to send down there to help uh, those people who, are, who have been really uh, impacted by this disaster. And so there will probably be a time when we will do the same thing. We'll take up, you know, monetary funds to do that, kind of like we have, uh, you know, every time one of these sort of things happens. But, but this is just something that two of our, our, our teens looked at the situation and said, hey, we have family who are there. They're affected by this. What can we do to help? And so this is totally them. And they didn't even know, clearly, <laughs> that I was going to be calling them up here today and kind of sharing this with you. But I wanted you to know that. Because, number one, our hearts hurt when people are hurting, right? But also, there's, there's a deep sense of pride, I think, we share as a church family when we see our children, our teens, but they're still children to us, right? When we see them saying, hey, we want to respond in the way that Jesus calls us to respond. So I want you to be aware of that. Caroline, I don't know what you have going on after this, but I want to ask you if you would stay kind of down front here so that folks could come and ask you what sort of things they need and how they can bring those to you, because I know you probably don't have like a you know, 24-pack of Gatorade in your trunk right now that you could contribute, but it's stuff like that that they're hoping to collect. So if you're interested, you can come down here. Caroline will be right here on the front row, okay? And uh, you can talk to this young lady about ways that you can help. So I wanted you to know about that, okay? Thank you for standing up here, Caroline. You can go ahead and be seated. All right, sweetheart. Can we, we can applaud that, right? <laughs> so. Uh, so again, today, now, 
awkward shift um, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about for the next, you know, 25 minutes or so. Uh, but we're in this, this true and false series, and uh, at this point, we want to talk about marriage. We want to spend our time today talking about and, and seeing what God's Word has to say about the, the truth about marriage. And so I want to begin today, the, our time together now, uh, in sort of a different place. I want us to kind of be able to laugh a little bit, because one of the hallmarks of a good marriage is that it is... Uh, it is filled with joy and it is filled with laughter. And I came across something this week as I was preparing for this. Kind of wanted to share it with you because maybe this applies to you. I found a, a website that, that has compiled about you know, 30 or 40 of the best tweets on Twitter that sum up married life. Okay? Now, we're not going to go through all of those, but I've sort of culled out some of the best. And I think some of these are pretty funny. You may as well. Um, this is from Michelle Ames. She says, this is married people problems. Making sure that you're the first to ask, what do you want for dinner? So you don't have to be the one to decide, right? Any of you relate to that? This, uh, Sonny learned that trick early on in our marriage. Uh, this conversation, has this ever happened? How much did that cost? And then the response is, I got a good deal on it. That's not an answer to the question, right? It's not, <laughs> did you get a good deal on it? The question is, how much did that cost, okay? Um, I like this one. I opened the dishwasher and it's full of clean dishes and I'm scared my wife is going to know that I know, right? Some of you don't understand that. Some of you laugh because you're guilty, all right? Aaron Clark, you laughed a little too much on that one. Um, Jennifer White says, I'm still waiting for my husband to apologize for what he did in my dream last night. <laughs> Jennifer would be waiting a long time if she were married to me. Um, has this ever happened to you? You're out in public. Me, a kid is crying. My wife, it's not one of ours. We fist bump, right? <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, couples have an amount that they can spend up to without discussing it with each other. Mine is around $50. My wife's is around $643.27, apparently. Right? There's a story behind that one. When my husband goes outside to investigate a strange noise, how long do I have to wait before unpausing the show we were watching? That is married life in 2018, is it not? And then this is the last one. My wife wanted two kittens, but I'm the man in this house. So we got two kittens. <laughs> all right. Now, those are, all, those are some of the best ones from, uh, from Twitter. This next one I wanted to end with, it's, it doesn't come from Twitter, but it comes from a young, a young boy who I'm guessing in his class at school had to write something down about, you know, what makes up a, a good marriage. I think he kind of nails it maybe better than any of these. How would you make a marriage work? Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. <laughs> Why are you laughing, right? You know, now that, that kid's going to go far. It, it's, it's good that we can laugh about, um, about marriage. It's one of those things. It's just easy. It's an easy place to go uh, because it's such a, a fabric of, of life for so many uh, but it's good that we can laugh, too, because there are so many myths out there associated with marriage as well. And so today, now we're at this point in this, in this true and false uh, series, we'll be talking a little bit about some of these myths, but we're also, more importantly, not just talking about the myths, we're going to be talking about what the scriptures have to say, what the truth is with regard to marriage. If I were to ask you what is the most important quality that makes a marriage successful, you probably, most of us would probably answer love. I mean, that's understandable, right? 
I think most people would say love is kind of the first thing that comes to mind, the, the, the prime quality of a successful marriage. In fact, for some people, though, they would, I think, say that, that marriage is, is primarily an expression of intense and romantic love. Um, we're sort of conditioned to think of marriage in these terms from early on. I mean, you know, what, what little girl hasn't, hasn't seen that, that image of Cinderella and Prince Charming you know, getting into that, that wedding carriage and riding off to live happily ever after and not thought, okay, that's what marriage is really all about. We think of marriage in it's sort of like this, this mountaintop experience, reaching kind of this, this zenith of, of you know, romantic, euphoric sort of love. It's that blissful feeling side of love. And the Greeks had a word that they used to describe that. It was the, the word eros. It described that passionate kind of love. Again, that, that blissful sort of euphoric feeling. It's the feeling that was described best by, of all people, Dr. Seuss, who once said, you know you're in love when you don't want to fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. Oh, right? Uh, so, so the question would be, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with thinking of, of marriage in those sorts of terms? I mean, shouldn't you feel that way about the person that you marry? Well, that's a good point, okay? And I would say, yes, you should. So it's, it's not that that, that that feeling or that understanding of marriage is completely wrong. That's not what we're saying. It's just that that, that understanding of marriage is, is incomplete. Because there has to be something more going on in a marriage relationship than just those feelings. If you build your marriage relationship and your understanding of marriage has everything to do with your feelings and how you feel in that moment, then what happens, what happens to the relationship when inevitably those feelings begin to fade a little bit? When that euphoric, you know, blissful, romantic sort of feeling begins to fade a little bit, what happens to the relationship? Well, Oftentimes, the marriage then feels like a letdown, right? And it causes a lot of people to, to wonder, okay, is this thing really, really going to work? Did, did we, were we wrong? I thought he was the one, I thought she was the one, but now I don't feel what I once felt. So the, the idea here is not that this is wrong, it's just incomplete. Because a true marriage, a biblical marriage, is based on something much deeper than just our, our mere feelings. Right? And that something deeper is the level of covenantal promise that is at the heart of our wedding vows. So I've told some of you this before. I, I, I counted it up recently. I've done somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 weddings over, uh, over my, my years in, in ministry. So I've stood on this stage and married even some of you, some of your children, some of your grandchildren. And so there, had those, those weddings and uh, indoors, outdoors, we've had weddings where, you know, babies are screaming and crying, of weddings where the outdoor weddings and planes are flying overhead, and, you know, tractors are going by, there's all kinds of crazy sounds and stuff going on, and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, like, this is a disaster, you know, I just get them married and, and, and get them out of here, but inevitably, at every single wedding I can think of, you get down to that moment where the vows are being made, and the promises are being made, and everybody kind of leans in, and and the moment just sort of holds for a minute. It's, it's as if, you know, even the babies understand, like, something special is happening here. And that is the something else that marriage has to be based on. It's about, something, it's about those promises that we make to one another that go so much farther than our, our feelings can. 
So instead of thinking about marriage as being kind of at the top of, at the, at the, top of the mountain, you know, I think a better way for us to think about marriage is to think about marriage is, is when you're standing at the base of that mountain together. And you're looking up and you, you can't even see the top of that because it's, it's, it's covered with clouds. So you don't even know how long of a hike you have, but marriage is the promise that you don't have to climb alone. That you'll always have a climbing partner. That you'll have someone to journey with as you go. That commitment runs deeper than feelings. Trevin Wax is an author I really like. been reading a lot of him lately. And he says this, if your wedding vows are simply an expression of how you felt when you are married and keeping those vows feels impossible because nobody feels that way all the time. And then he says this, that's why historically wedding vows have not focused so much on that feeling of love but instead on the, on the vow of commitment to be an unbreakable source of faithfulness no matter what may come. He says when you say I do, what you're really saying to, to your partner you're saying one of us will stand at the grave of the other. That's a morbid thought for your wedding day, right? I mean, it kind of is. But it's also what you're saying when you say all that for better or worse, till death do us part kind of stuff. You're saying, again, we're standing at the base of this mountain, not at the, not at the summit. We're standing right here, and we promise that we will climb together. That's what marriage is. Uh, we live in a time where there are other myths, but one, an, another myth about marriage is that um is that marriage should be should be easy that if you marry the right person marriage is is easy but i'll, I'll tell you that's that's just not true because because marriage isn't easy we go back to that mountain climbing kind of metaphor like like most things in life that are worth doing marriage is hard work there are parts of the journey that may go a little easier than others but make no mistake you're climbing that requires effort requires great intentionality you find somebody who's been married 10 years or 20 or 30 or you know pick the number and they'll tell you that good marriages don't just happen they require a lot of hard work and a lot of intentionality tim keller says that when he counsels couples and they come in uh, maybe they're, they're having some issues a lot of times what he hears them say is that love shouldn't be so hard this should come naturally right if you're having problems, it's probably easy for you to default into that line of thinking. But Keller says he always pushes back. He says, why in the world would you think that? He says, if someone wants to play professional baseball, he doesn't have a right to like come along and say, you know, it shouldn't be this hard to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Or someone wants to write some great piece of literature, she, should, she doesn't have the right to sit back and say, you know, yeah, it shouldn't be this hard to write you know, like great characters and a compelling narrative. He says... What makes marriage so hard is you have two people who are broken by sin. And loving someone who's broken by sin is hard. It's hard for you, and it's hard for the person who's trying to love you. Because you're also broken by sin. And so Keller says whenever he meets with those couples, he tells them, you know, raw, natural talent doesn't cut it here. It doesn't enable you to play baseball as a pro, or it doesn't enable you to write great literature without enduring enormous discipline and work so why would it be any easier to love someone well who's been broken by sin there's a final myth that's popular in our culture we'll talk about this and we'll jump into to god's word together there's this myth that's popular today that that we possess the power to redefine marriage however we would like either at the governmental level or at the personal level you're well aware of the fact that the traditional definition of marriage has been challenged 
and reinterpreted in, in recent years. It's a reminder of what we talked about last week, that culture is this great normalizing force. It's also a great moralizing force. So what was universally considered uh, a covenant relationship between a woman and a man and God uh, has now been redefined to mean the, the legally recognized union of two people as partners in a personal relationship. So many in our culture will refer to same-sex unions as marriages, even though that recalibrates the biblical definition of marriage. Uh, people do the same thing with open marriages, which if you don't know what that is, it's where married couples give one another permission to violate their wedding vows and sleep with multiple partners outside the marriage. Yes, that's a thing now. So, you know, that's just another way for us of, of redefining the biblical concept of marriage as revealed in the scriptures. Uh, the truth of the matter is this, that the, the biblical truth about marriage is that it exists as a sign. That it points to a deep spiritual reality. It points beyond itself to something deeper. To, to put it differently, marriage is a means, it's not an end in itself. So according to the Bible, God has deep purposes. He has intentional purposes for marriage. And, and one of the places where you find this spelled out pretty clearly is in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll look at here. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, feel free to. This will be the, the primary place we'll, we'll look at here together this morning. Um, as, as Paul is, is writing here, he has some very specific instructions for wives and husbands, which we'll look at. But then at the end of this teaching... He, he sort of pulls back a little bit and gives us insight into God's purpose for marriage in the first place. And that's what makes this passage so essential for our understanding. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. This is God's word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And that's God's word from Ephesians 5. Uh, let's deal with this, this part uh, first. Biblical submission in marriage is never about inferiority or superiority. I think that's an important point for us to clarify. Uh, a wife's submission to her husband, as it's described here, is not about female inferiority, nor is it about male superiority. Just as the submission of Christ to the will of God the Father isn't rooted in the fact that Jesus is somehow some sort of lesser God than God the Father. That's, that's not in play here uh, at all. In fact, everything that Paul has to say about marriage and about submission in marriage flows out of what he says in verse 21. 
which unfortunately in a lot of Bibles previously those little headings, you know, verse 21 was left in the previous category, the previous heading there, but truthfully it grounds everything that's said about marriage. So in verse 18, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. And if you're filled with the Spirit, as it says in verse 18, then that makes a submissive heart possible, which he talks about in verse 21. And verse 21 is gender inclusive. That's an all play. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So any misunderstanding of what that means usually comes out of the fact that someone who's teaching that, does, and it's usually a man, someone who teaches that does so without the context of verse 21. It would take us a long time to unpack that more fully, but that's just for our understanding for today, because when we read this passage, that's the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of us. What in the world is all that about? Verse 21 kind of grounds all of that, okay? Then there's this. He says marriage functions according to God's purposes when these two things happen. When wives submit to their husbands, and that is a submission, he says, that is patterned after the the way the church submits to Christ, okay? So God's purposes for marriage are fulfilled when that happens. But then also this, when husbands love their wives, and he says that's a love that is patterned after the love that Christ has for his church. And so you can see there, Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2 about uh, father and, and mother, or leaving father and mother, becoming one flesh. But even there, he sees a connection between marriage and the church. And so that's why he says there in verse 32 that this is a, a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And you think, wait a minute, I thought you were talking about husband and wife. And he says, well, I was. But if you back up and you look at the big picture, husband and wife is a great parallel for us to understand the nature of our relationship to Jesus. Paul says that there's more to the meaning of marriage than meets the eye. It reveals something deep, something that otherwise remains hidden the relationship between christ and the church is demonstrated there it is revealed there so if you catch what he's saying that means this that the mission of marriage is to declare the gospel it's about so much more than our feelings it's about so much more than like cultural trends it's the mission that god has for marriage is to declare the gospel to preach a word to proclaim a word about this life that comes through submission and love. In its purest sense, marriage is about the eternal love of God. It demonstrates the selfless love of God, the agape love of God. That is the word that is used over and over to describe the love of God, the love that prompted God to send Jesus into the earth to begin with. John 3.16, that passage that encapsulates the heart of the gospel for us. It says that for God so loved, he agaped, he had selfless, sacrificial love. That is the kind of love that is prescribed here. So husbands, love your wives this way, agape them, give of yourselves, be selfless and be sacrificial in your love. That's why it's incomplete for us to think about love in terms of that other Greek word, eros, to only think about marriage and love in terms of our romantic feelings misses the point, God says. Yes, it's okay to have those romantic, blissful, euphoric feelings about the one you love. But what grounds those feelings is this commitment that says, I will serve you, I will love you, I will climb with you, and I'm not going anywhere even when I feel like leaving. That's why... Marriage is so important, and the kind of love that the Word of God prescribes. 
But then there's also this. So in a marriage, we have not only that love that is modeled, but we have that submission. We see our response, right? We see our response to that kind of love that comes from God. And that is to submit ourselves, our will, our decisions, everything about ourselves. We submit them to the lordship of Jesus. And the way that that is modeled is through the submission of a wife who has been loved in turn by her husband like this, and all that comes together in this way that beautifully and powerfully proclaims the gospel. That means that marriage, one of the things that makes marriage so important is that it is evangelistic in nature. Your marriage, the marriages in this church, the marriages in this community and in this country and around the world, they exist not just to give you somebody to go to dinner with, they don't exist just to like feed some sort of romantic hole you have in your heart. I mean, that's great. I love my wife and I have those feelings for her. But the purpose of marriage goes so much far beyond just giving me what I want. It's about proclaiming the gospel to the world. And when people see two people who love Jesus and who love each other like that, the idea is that then they will want to understand and experience that love for themselves as well. An author by the name of Christopher Ashe tells this story. He says, some years ago, there arose this dispute in Britain between the treasury and the foreign office. And the argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls Royce as they served in these foreign capitals. So unsurprisingly, um, you know, the members of the Treasury Department, they wanted to, to give out these cars kind of sparingly. They said, boy, this really taxes the budget. How about we only give those out to, uh, to the ones in some pretty important embassies, you know, Washington, D.C., Paris, and a few other places. But the Foreign Office countered with this sort of logic. They said that most people in these foreign capitals have not visited Great Britain. And so when they see these beautiful cars gliding down their streets with a, a UK flag on the front, here's what they'll say to themselves. They'll say, I've not been to Great Britain. In fact, I don't know much about it. But if they make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place. And in a similar fashion, it's God's hope that Men and, and women may say to themselves when they see a Christian marriage, I don't even know if there is a God. There's times when I've questioned that myself. But if he can make two people love each other like that, and give of themselves like that, and commit to each other like that, he must be a good God. That's the truth about marriage. That is the purpose for which God created marriage. It's about so much more than our feelings, our cultural trends. It exists as an expression of the gospel. And today, we, we'll just close right there and let that truth sort of sink in. That these relationships that we're a part of many of us, that they exist to pr proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. I want to close just by saying a special prayer right now. 
and to pray and, and ask God's blessings upon the marriages that make up this church. I know not everyone here is married, and so you, you may feel a little out of sorts that we're focusing just on one group, but, but can, we, can we find it within ourselves to be praying, whether we're married or not, whether that term has rich meaning to us or, or not, can we find it within ourselves to be praying that these marriages would be healthy and sound and solid, that they are good, that they're part of God's good creation, that they're a sacred gift, that the gospel would be proclaimed through those relationships that are part of this church. If you can join me, I think that's something worth praying about this morning. Let's bow together and let's pray. Father, you're good. and We know that your love endures forever. Father, we thank you that we experience just a taste of that enduring love through the men and women that you put into our lives. And God, for many, the, the greatest conduit of that love would be their spouse. It would be a loving husband or a loving wife. Lord God, this, marriage is, this, this, this church isn't made up entirely of marriages, but God, there are many that are present here. And so Lord, we pause in this worship and we come and we seek you. And we ask your blessings upon the women and the, the men, the children who are part of these families. Lord God, every one of us can think of someone we know who has modeled for us this kind of faithfulness, this kind of love, this kind of submission in the context of their marriage. God, right now we focus on that individual, we focus on that couple, and we give thanks, God. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the times when we can honor the women and men in this church who've been married for a long time. We give thanks for their faithfulness and their obedience, that long walk in the same direction, Father. God, we honor them. For those of us who are younger, that gives us something to, to grasp. It gives us role models to look to. It gives us examples of what this looks like 10 years in and 20 years in and 50 years in. So God, I pray that you would place that dream within the heart of every married couple here. Lord God, we can also think of marriages right now that are struggling. Marriages where Satan has a foothold of one kind or another. Father God, our prayer is for these individuals as well. May you be present to them. May you make yourself known to them. May they rely upon you and the truth of your word and your power. God, may you be merciful to them as they seek to be merciful to one another. And Lord God, in all this, we praise you today for the good news of the kingdom that we find embedded in these relationships. God, your word is right. This is indeed a mystery. We see in the faithfulness and the unconditional love, the submission and all of those things that are a part of, of this teaching, God, we look at those relationships and we see good news. We see what you have done for us through Christ. And our hearts are filled with exceeding joy, Father. So Lord, today I just pray a, a prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of supplication. Would you be present to the marriages in this church? in this country, and around the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close this time by singing our song of invitation. If you need to respond in any way, I hope you will. Let's stand together and let's sing.